Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. Welcome to This Sunday's Game, and as we enter another week of lockdown across Europe, even if some places are seeing little bits of light at the end of the tunnel, we're going to brighten your evening with the very best news, views and interviews from across the continent. We've two super interviewees lined up today with a visit to the coast of sunny Spain, and we'll chat with Mick Collins, who'll tell us of his GA journey from Murcia to Sitges via Valencia, and just what lies in store for possibly GGE's most vibrant region, the region of course, Iberia. Then we're going to travel east to the beautiful capital of Slovakia and speak with Kieran Chapman, who is the chairperson of the Slovak Shamrocks in Bratislava, and he's also the Central East European PRO. We're going to ask him just what it's like trying to coordinate between all the clubs in GGE's biggest region geographically. But first, a wee bit of news. Tishuk Leo Varadkar, he chose the Late Late Show on Friday night to answer the hard questions of the day. The boy from the Concilla Road in Dublin announced that GAA games may resume, but behind closed doors. With Friday's five-point plan, a five-point roadmap even, announced, GAA and soccer teams can resume activities from July 20th. The former sports minister stated that the 2020 football and hurling championships are possible if played without spectators. With revenues devastated and Crow Park looking for staff pay deferrals, there seems little solace to be taken. Mayo's Aidan O'Shea, who is also on the Late Late Show on Friday night, he's of the opinion that club outranks county. The 2019 National League winner said, this is an opportunity for the GAA to build back up from the club. Something that Henry Shefflin was keen to back up, and he agreed with saying that club championships go first. Elsewhere in Europe, in Germany, Angela Merkel and the regional heads of state delayed a decision on the assumption of the German Football League last week, with May 6th eyed as the decision day. Clubs are confident of playing again in May, not on the 9th, but most likely starting on the 23rd. They are desperate to finish by June 30th because that is when many of their sponsorship and broadcast deals run out. Bayer Leverkusen sporting director Simon Rolf said that his players are not scared of COVID, despite neighbouring side Cologne having uh, admitted, admitting on Friday that three of the people at the club had tested positive for COVID. However, they said they are all still training. Remember that Bayer Leverkusen were the first and only club in Europe to have appointed a pandemic officer, and that took place four years ago. So, on with the show, and first up, we go to Spain and Mick Collins. So we'd like to throw in this episode of the Sunday's Game with the chairperson of Sitges GA Club in Spain, Mr. Mick Collins. Mick, very, very welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Alan, yeah. It's, it's great to speak with someone in Iberia because as we all know in Gaelic Games Europe, Iberia is a huge area of growth and you've actually been part of that growth because you've kind of moved steadily northwards in Spain and uh, assisting in founding clubs as you go along. Uh, how did that all happen, Mick? I moved over to Spain from Ireland back, back almost 20 years ago. I did Erasmus down in a place called Murcia and then uh, I finished my degree and I went back then to, back to Murcia. Then in Murcia, I wasn't involved at all. There was no club down there. Uh, I lived down there for two years. And then I moved up to Valencia. 2006 and uh, a year later one of the lads was setting up a club a, a lad called David Hopper and Andy White they were 
they'd often talked about setting the club up and then it just happened. They said, listen, it was after the All-Ireland final, I remember, in 2007. They said, listen, first train session next Sunday in the Polideportivo in the university. Yeah, be there at 12 o'clock and then we had a good turnout that first day. And then from then, it just grew and grew. From then, back then, there were only three teams in Spain. Well, or Iberia, you know. It was Madrid and Barcelona and Pamplona. And we, we were only the fourth team back in 2007. That was brilliant. It really, really, really kind of changed things for a lot of us down there in Valencia. It kept the Irish community together and uh, a lot of other nationalities joined joined as well. But um, yeah, I was there from the beginning back in back in Valencia and I played for them for the end of 2013. And then I moved up to Sitges, up the coast. It's a small town, about 30,000 people, um, about 40 kilometers south of Barcelona. Very touristy town. Um, I moved up here in 2014 and it was the year, a year later then when I said, listen, like, can I set up a team up here? I, was, I met a lad when I was watching the, the rugby. I think probably most, if not every Irish uh, guy club in, in Europe was probably set up uh, when people met in the pub. So it was. A few weeks later, we had our first training session and then we were we played in the Iberian Championship that year. <laughs> After one training session, we, we played, in the, played in the final round over up in Barcelona. For, I mean, the first session we had, like the only five Irish people who, who, who I could convince to come came to the session. And um, so we really only had five lads and one Spanish lad as well, Juanma. Yeah, I remember him. He's, he's in our founding photograph. Uh, he, he, he came that first day and he never came back again. <laughs> it was in our first AGM when we we set up the you know the name of the club and we got our crest and all that kind of thing. But no, like initially there were just just five, five Irish lads, and then we had to get a lot of help then in the first tournaments. Um, a British school halfway between Sitges and Barcelona, and they five or six teachers came along to the first tournament and they they gave us a hand. So it was just important to get off the ground because it's hard to get eleven lads that that, that very first day. So. No, you've grown then because I mean you've you've got over twenty now registered and you've got twenty players. I mean, the, the, this year it's it's been a brilliant year. It was been really slow. I mean, when I look back, it's been it's kind of a miracle that we're still alive now, because yeah, that first year we had five lads in twenty fifteen, and then it's hard to kind of break into the local community because no matter how much you you if you meet someone, no matter how convincing you are, they just think no, I mean I, I can't play that so. The first key was really getting one, one of the local lads on board. He was uh, the father of one of my, my sons, um, one of his friends from school. He's a local lad, Alex. And um, once he came along, he liked it. It's much easier for him to convince people to come along then. No? So he convinces three or four friends to come along. That- but we were completely stagnant for the first three years. We had about, you know, we'd go to tournaments with five or six people in 2016, even 2017, 2018. We might go with seven or eight or nine, and we'd have to borrow, get, borrow players. And it was a bit... We were going nowhere, really. It all kind of took off a year ago. Um, it was around this time. We came back from the Valencia tournament. We went down there with nine people, I remember. And then uh, the next session, then another Irish lad who was living in the town came along. And then another lad came along. And then we had another tournament in Barcelona. It w- just went really well. We had we turned up with uh, with 12 players. And the two new lads were brilliant. <laughs> and we actually won two games. We won our first our first game ever and then that turned into winning two games we qualified from our group and we we played the semi-final in that tournament and that, that was that was brilliant how important is that is tournaments because it's always a, a question clubs have of uh, and the, the distance isn't as great is that tournaments are key matches are key to keeping people involved in the game and motivating new people to join in as well how important is that Oh, it's hugely important, yeah. I mean, I'd say it might be less important to the people of... I mean, our age profile is different here in Sitges. Like, we're all... The average age is over 40. Like, we're... 
an old and aging team. Um, <laughs> I think we've one lad in his 20s, we've two lads in their 50s, and then most of the lads are in their 40s now. Like they started off, started off in the late 30s, and now they're in the early 40s. So, um, you know, we can't. If we had a, a game every week, we wouldn't be able to go to it. So, it, it's probably less um, important than it would have been playing, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you don't have kids. You know, it is important. Yeah, you need, you need something. Need something regular. At least the, the promise of a game within two months. You know, were you involved in GA back home before you went out to Spain? Before I went out, I mean, I played underage, like most people, under 11 up to under 16. Played for Clontarf. And I, I wasn't big into playing. I mean, I used to love um, Gaelic football. Oh, my dad's from Kerry, so he, oh. he would have uh, made me love the game. You know? I would have grown up watching a Kerry's Golden Years video. <laughs> I know all those games you know, from, <laughs> from years ago. I don't know who's going to score the points and the goals now. Um, but yeah, I wasn't big into playing when I was, when I was younger. It, and it probably happens to a lot of people then when you move abroad, then you become you get more involved than you would have been back home. So yeah, when I remember when I started off <laughs> with Valencia, they had me in a... They asked me, where did you play? I said, oh, I play, I play corner forward. So I had me up a corner forward. And then after the first game, like, <laughs> you're terrible at corner forward. I had to move back to the defence. And I was much better defender than I would have been up front. You, know? so, uh, you see, you develop with age. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of... Say, like, yeah. you know, they, like, put the young fellas up forward, let them just chase the ball. And let the wiser, more skilled, more talented players play at the back. Yeah, I think that's that's the way. That's that's what they were thinking, now. I, I convinced myself that like you, you let up in goals eventually. So that's uh, Mick. Uh, moving on to to Iberia. I mean, as you mentioned at the start there. I mean, there was um, when Valencia were setting up. There were three clubs in Spain. Yeah. How many clubs are there now in in Spain at the moment? I believe there are twenty six. I mean, I, I know how many are in our region because we're divided into sub regions over here now. Our central east region. Which is well, if I start with the, the, the actual regions which really exist, so we have yeah. the the Galicia, like they've a, a proper region which is Galicia, and they I believe they've twelve teams. I mean, they've often have new teams arriving, and some might might some of the kind of the second the B teams or some of the clubs might come and go, but I believe they've about twelve teams up there. They have a really good league going up there. You know, they all play each other. Uh, they seem to have games every week. And then down in Andalusia, they've they've three proper strong teams. You know, they have uh, the Costa Gales and Seville and uh, Gibraltar. Then I believe Seville have a have a development team as well. So I think they're four teams down there. And then we have our the rest of, of Iberia, which is well, we've we've named it the, the Central East region, but it's really just everything else which is left, you know. There's nine men's teams and then there's Tres Cantos as well. And they 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 play in the ladies. So you could say there's actually ten teams in the in our central east region. So that in total then you'd be looking at ten and four and so twenty six teams in Iberia. Impressive enough, isn't it? Plus then plus uh, Portugal. Yeah, and in a short, very very short space of time as well. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that happening in Ireland, oversubscribed almost. But you know, and clubs are amalgamating. Whereas in Europe, we see clo- right. clubs yeah. rolling. Uh, the health of the game in Iberia. What, what do you put that down to, me? Down to what's happened up in Galicia. I mean, like most of those numbers, almost half the teams in Iberia are from are from are from Galicia. But then with within the rest of it, is it has grown as well. I mean, like it, in in the in our central region. I mean, there's 10 teams, yeah, but three of them are B teams. So, like, we have, you know, Barcelona A and Barcelona B. So, in a way, it, it might sound more impressive than it is, no? You kind of get these little clusters going. So, that's what happened up here. So, if we, up, up in our, in, in Catalonia, we have, uh, there was always Barcelona. And then, uh, around when we started, we got set up here in Sitges. Within about a month, coincidentally, and completely unknown to us, another team was being set up in, in Barcelona called uh, Gran Sol. Oh. They were set up by kind of... Um, Kind of Galician um, ex expatriados, no? Yeah, <laughs> lads yeah. from Galicia who are, who were living in Barcelona, and they said, "Well, they're going to set up their own team," which um, which is brilliant for us because we we've we've always been able to play them every every few months, and uh, we've always been at the same level. 
And really, if they didn't exist, we probably wouldn't exist either. And the fact that those two teams existed then, it kind of helped Barcelona got their B team, St. Enda's going as well. And they kind of get more regular games as well because we're there. So it's, you kind of, you can be fortunate. Like if we didn't have Grand Sol, we probably wouldn't exist either. So in a way, you could put that down to the success of the Galician League above in Galicia. They exported their, their, their Galicians over to Barcelona. They were set up at the same time as us and that kept us going. And apart from that, then just Zaragoza sends set up a team as well. And you know, when you have more teams at your level, it kind of makes it easier. Then once once something's going, then it's easier to to be attracted and to be attracted to it. And it's easier to you have more games. You get to travel a bit less as well when you when you have more teams. That well, that is a point. Again, it's like you know when you've got like huge big reasons like in Europe, like Central East, which goes from well. Russia all across to Germany and then south to Italy. So it's a huge, and Hungary, it's a, it's a gigantic uh, geographical region. But people think of Spain, ah, Spain is Spain, but still quite you know, big distances between competitions. Oh, there are. Yeah, yeah. there are really I huge, mean, huge, uh, huge. How do you think the, the Spanish uh, natives uh, are finding Gaelic football? When, when they see it, how, how quickly do they adapt to it? Our, our team, like most of our team are, are, are natives. No? We've, we've five Irish lads still on the team, but all, all the rest are local lads, local Catalans and Spanish lads from, from around the town. We're almost all from the, from the town. Yeah, Actually, everyone's from the town. I think one guy is from the, like, four kilometers away, but we're all, all locals. I remember when I started the club here and you meet someone, you might you get their phone number and you'd send them on a, um, a YouTube video of, of, a, of a great game. Like You might show them Dublin against Kerry. And I kind of found after a while that none of those lads who I wouldn't have, would have sent that to ever came. Because they were thought, oh god, this is impossible. Like this is, I wouldn't be able to play that. It looks kind of too rough for me. Or yeah, you know, they can kind of see you kicking the ball over the bar from forty-five yards, and, and it just puts them completely off. The level is lower. Obviously, it's nothing like the All Ireland that we we played over here. So when they see that, they kind of think, they, oh, I can actually do that. I mean, because you can kind of see you, you don't have to be hugely skillful to play either. So it can, it can attract all sorts of people. Like we've had small people and big people and tall people and <laughs> skinny people and. <laughs> Less skinny people playing, and uh, I think I think they can be attracted to that. Like, really does attract people of all sizes. Whereas soccer, you kind of need to be. I mean, I wouldn't play for a soccer team over here. I wouldn't be skillful enough at all. No, I'd be put off playing even soccer for a team in a match. But uh, I'm, I'm okay to play the Gaelic football, you know. And it's less. You kind of describe it as being less um, rough as um, rugby, you know, because that it, it does put people off too when you tell them that we train on the rugby pitch. Like oh, oh rugby, like no. So it's really when people come along, and they, then if you can convince someone to come along, just come along to the first training session and just have a look, and maybe bring your boots, and you can, and you might join in. And sometimes they come along, and then when they actually see it, they go, "Oh God, I can actually do that." Yeah. But just getting them to see that it's actually something they could do and it's realistic for them—that that's the challenge, isn't it? It is. No, you're dead right. It's kind of like getting them down. If you can't see it, you're not going to be able to understand it. And if you can't just put a ball in your hands and even just to practice punching or kicking it. It's going to be tough. Access to facilities. How difficult was it to get access to the rugby field in uh, Sitges? Back now, it, it was difficult to start, but I remember, yeah, so we, we decided back in five years ago to get this thing up and running. And then I had to go find a pitch and uh, that was difficult. Um, I went to the, the local soccer pitch and uh, they were like, no, no, you can't play here. And then yeah, there's another soccer pitch as well. There, no, 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 we, we, you can't play that here. No, no, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't rent our pitch out. There was no municipal soccer pitch at all, like no locally, locally owned soccer pitch. Oh. And then I went up to the rugby pitch questions, and, and they said, "Yeah, listen, you can, you can train here." And we had to pay. It was expensive. Like, I mean, we, we had five lads training, and the rent was seventy euro a session. So that that was difficult to start with. So I kind of had to. I remember the first five sessions. I kind of just kind of 
put it up myself because you couldn't tell someone, oh, come along training now and bring 15 euro with you. No? <laughs> it, was a, it was a bit of a, yeah, it was, it, it was costly the first, the first five weeks that year. And so then over the summer then we had a bit more time and then through a few contacts then we managed to, to, to rent the, the soccer pitch, which was a lot cheaper. Trained on the soccer pitch for three years. And it worked well for, for two years, no, 2015 to about 2017. It worked well, but the only time we could get was on a Wednesday night at 10 o'clock from 10 until a quarter past 11. That was probably the only time that was free because that's when the Champions League is on. Because, you know, everyone loves Barca here. So okay. um, it's probably, it, would be kind of, it wouldn't be a wise decision to be having your, your soccer training sessions on a Wednesday night. You'd, <laughs> you'd get half, half a turnout. So, yeah, we, we trained there for, for two years. But that was kind of part of the problem. So, we, yeah, we had access to facilities, but at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. So that's kind of why we only had you know, the same eight lads for, for two years. So then we said, listen, we had a meeting system. We're kind of going nowhere. And we said, listen, let's just try. Let's, even if it costs more, let's go back to the rugby pitch. But um, we kind of felt we could kind of take a bet. Now, like we'll, we, we might get more lads to come along. And so it was. So we, we, we changed in about March 2017 over to the rugby pitch. And then within about four weeks, we had, we had I remember one night we had 23 lads training. <laughs> Great. At the end. Yeah, which was amazing. And from then on, then we kind of we have we have more people then. So then the next year we, we stuck with the rugby pitches. And then what we've done then, which has worked really well, we we've they've got to know us then. And I'm kind of involved in the rugby club as well. Like I I used to help out training the 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 young kids team. So I I got to know them and they got to know me as well. So what they said was, why don't you join our rugby club? And that's what we've done. So we we've we've all become members of the. When I say we when I said earlier, like the lads have paid a membership, they've actually paid the membership to the rugby club. Right. And it works really it works really well. Like so we're actually working with them. And their their one condition was that we had to get um, insurance. Just for example, in Moscow, when, when we were we were offered use of facilities in Lokomotiv Moscow, uh, one of the things that came up was, oh, we're not going to join the soccer club. Like, you know, well, we're not going to be involved in the soccer club. It's against GAA. And I'm thinking, well, in Europe, no. A lot of clubs train in rugby clubs or members of rugby clubs are associated with, mm. like in Germany, sports associations that you know can develop so right now because obviously you know in spain there's a very active outdoor life but with coronavirus what has been the effect just on society and then on uh, sports mick we'll probably know the effect on society in years to come i mean we, we, we don't really know what what the effect has been but immediately it, it's just been mad really it's been seven weeks now that we our kids have been off school like immediately like, that's the main impact for me i mean we've two little kids of a four-year-old and a seven-year-old yes yeah, so it's hard for them to be off school all the time and then they're at home all the time as well so it means you can't you can't go to work either so I'm, I'm working from home um my wife's here as well so coping in that respect yeah the kids being off school is huge i mean i don't know what percentage of society is affected by that but uh, a lot of us and then obviously you, you can't go out so we've had really really tough lockdown here for I can't even remember the weeks now at this point, but um, you know, you, you couldn't take the kids out. You could only go out if you if you had to go do the shopping. You're still not let out to do exercise. Um, that's going to be released, I think, tomorrow or Sunday. You can go out and do your individual exercise then. From and since last Sunday, you you could take one adult could take out their their kids for for a walk for an hour, and that was kind of the big yeah. It was, Sunday was a big day for the country when the kids were let out for the first time in six or seven weeks. And then, of course, yeah, there's going to be a huge impact for the economy. I mean, understated if, if looking to me. I mean, the city is a very very touristy town, so I'm sure there'll be a big impact here. Um, yeah, restaurants all closed, bars all closed, and everything's all closed. Just nothing open, just the supermarkets. I think they're going to start opening like the hardwares and the small, the the, the pequeño comercio and all the small businesses can open from uh from Monday. But big restrictions though. Like I'm sure they won't be making much money if you have if you have to limit it to thirty percent of your 
of your capacity? It's, it's completely messed up the season. I know a lot of like from Galicia down to Andalusia, you know, everyone is you know itching to get back playing. Has there been any kind of um, perspective given from the Spanish authorities when sports clubs can get back active? No, and I've been reading that closely enough. I mean, they've just released the, 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 the when you're opening up the lockdown, um, they've released those measures bit by bit over the last few days. And I can't see when, when um, we'll be allowed to play Gaelic football or even to train again amongst those measures. Um, you can definitely get out and, and do your individual, individual um, run. And then at some point then, in phase maybe three or two or four, at some point then you can do non-contact sport or, or minimal contact sport. They gave some examples like skating. But I haven't seen when you can actually do your, your, your contact sport. Ours is quite a contact sport. So it's not clear to me when we'll be able to get out and train again. But I, I would be hopeful that we would be able to train in the summer. That's still be optimistic um, and hopeful that we, uh, even if we're not going to play any competitions, it would be great for, for the lads to be able to get together July, you know, July and August. Well, we've, we've, we've lost two months of season there for training. And, you know, training is a huge part for us. I mean, we, we don't get to many tournaments. Uh, we, we'd be quite happy to, if we can just get out and train every every Monday night for, for an hour and a half. That'd be brilliant for us. You know, community-wise, getting out to kick a ball around after us, have a chat, you know, that the, the whole social element is, you know, is definitely affecting people. No matter what we do online, it's still, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's affecting us. Mick, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And we're gonna we're gonna get you back on in a couple of weeks with some more of our Iberian brethren to have a, a kind of a, a group chat and to yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have a bit of better perspective and better news to give as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Good. I'll look look forward yeah. to that anyway. <laughs> great you. to talk, Alan. Bye. Thanks, Rick. That's Mick Collins, the chairperson of Sitches in Spain. And uh, fingers crossed that things will get better, not just in Iberia, but across Europe, and we'll be all back training and playing soon. Okay, and now we turn our attention to the absolute fairy tale city of Bratislava. Of course, it's on the Danube down in Slovakia, and we're delighted to have on this Sunday's game the chairperson of Slovak Shamrocks, and I have to say, more importantly, the PRO for Central East Europe, Kieran Chapman. Kieran, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing there, Alan? Surviving. It's starting to get warm now in Moscow, so uh, springtime has finally arrived. Same with you? Yeah, it's um, been 20 degrees plus for the last couple of weeks here. Unfortunately, we're locked inside, so we can't <laughs> enjoy it. But it's still nice to sit on the balcony, you know. <laughs> Why Bratislava? I mean, I love Bratislava. It's one of my favourite cities in, in Eastern Europe. It's one of my favourite cities in Europe. It's gorgeous. It's a fairy tale city. Yeah, well, I first came here on the, the Erasmus programme which fell in love with um, Slovakia. Um, but when I got back, I met uh, my future wife and followed her back to Slovakia. And uh, that, that's a long time ago, from 2011 I've been here. <laughs> Especially for, for anyone looking for a short break, I think it's a beautiful city. Um, typical European capital, uh, beautiful old town. But it's also quite small. It's um, probably see most of the city within a weekend. Uh, the people are friendly, the weather's nice in summer, you've got the Danube, you've got castles, you've got beautiful architecture, and also, of course, the paints are cheap, so you're, you're not paying more than two euro paints, which <laughs> brings sometimes the wrong crowds here. You couldn't imagine living anywhere else. It's, it's just so easy, and uh, it's, it's home for me now, you know. Where was home for you, Kieran? And uh, just a follow-up question on that when you answer it, were you involved in GA back home? I'm originally from Belfast. 
although I think you probably have lost my accent. Uh, Slightly, to yeah. Certain degree. Uh, well, that's, that's from teaching, so you have to speak slower. <laughs> I wasn't involved as much um, with uh, football back home uh, as I am now out here. Um, I got a bad injury in my 20s, but I was more of a soccer man. I was uh, playing in the Irish uh, League, the first division. I was kind of better at that, but um, I went to, I don't know if you know them, Samiri's school. Of course, yeah. Grammar school. Yeah. So, of course, you had to play it, it, it in school. I was never really involved in, after my teens in club football or anything like that. Um, but whenever I came to Bratislava, I think what got me back into the sport is more of the, the community, uh, getting to know people. Like when, when you travel and you don't really know anyone and you're putting down roots, it's the Gaelic football clubs across Europe. I think that they have many stories like this that extended family for you. You know, you, the people that you meet and get to know over the years, um, you know that you, whenever you're going to training, you're looking forward to seeing the same people and building those friendships and, I mentioned earlier, uh, I, got married, I got married out here. But my wife now plays the game, but she's oh, originally from Serbia. When I got engaged, I got engaged at um, a Gaelic tournament in Rovigo. Uh, or no, sorry, in Padova. <laughs> so <it> was, <laughs> and the, I need to remember that. And then the club members, 50% of the people at my wedding were club members. So it, it really becomes, you know, your extended family whenever you're out here. Uh, it's a very mm -hmm. multinational family, I believe. Had players from all, all across the world, uh, but currently with about 14 different nationalities within the, the team. Slovaks, obviously, but Scotland, Wales, England, Portugal, Germany, Americans, Finnish people, French, Spanish. We've had people from Brazil, of course. Um, we even had one player from Taiwan. <laughs> so it is, um, yeah, like it's um, a very multinational club. It's, some, it's actually something that we try to promote. Um, so we, we only have a handful of Irish players here. Um, like in our ladies team, we've only two Irish players. And um, in, the, in the men's, we've only a handful of. So we, we need to, to bring people into the sport. And uh, for me, what, what it's been about a bit more is I, where I can see. Uh, Gaelic Games Europe going is no longer being just an Irish sport for Irish people and Irish organisations, but an international sport with Irish roots is kind of what we're we're turning into. You know, you've only got a small nucleus of Irish guys. What are are, are the, the issues facing the Shamrocks in Slovakia? Um, recruiting players has been a big issue, and then retaining them because a lot of people are here expats, and they end up moving country. So we've actually had it where. We've trained players, allowed them to get to know the sport, and then they move and play for someone else, you know. But awesome. which is fine, you know. We're more about um, spreading the love of the game. Yeah, yeah. Another issue would be probably financing, you know, because we do have the issue where it's everybody's putting their hand in their own pot. It's not a local club in a local town where all the locals are uh, paying and fundraising for, for that club. Um, anytime we travel to a tournament, and it can be a big distance in the CE, we, we pay for that ourselves. We pay for our own accommodation. Uh, we pay for all of the training facilities and match balls and training balls, the equipment that we need, kits, everything comes from within. That, I think that's something that all clubs in Europe face. The, the, the lack of games sometimes can be a big problem. Like when you recruit someone in and then you tell them, oh, well, 
it's October. Uh, you missed the Pan Europeans. There's no game till March or April. Uh, that, that can be a problem. I know we, we, we've had it lucky of the last, well, ne- next year's our 10th year. We've always had a good group of people, um, always dedicated and willing to sacrifice their time and their, their own money. So we've, we've been growing steadily as a club over the years. Now, that's something that you, you mentioned, the, the geographic distance. I mean, you, you do have a great relationship. I've seen the like mini tournaments that you're, you're holding with neighbours. Like, But as PRO for Central East Europe, I mean, you're covering a huge region, 11 countries. How many clubs are, are, are in that as well? We must be doing something right. We're up to 23 clubs. Uh, when I first started playing in 2011, we were just in the double figures. <laughs> so we were, so... <laughs> With that come logistical challenges. So with two, like yourselves in Moscow yeah. and tra- traveling to Germany. Um, and now we also have clubs uh, as far away as uh, Sofia, possibly Croatia in the, the years to come. Who knows? Um, so travel will be a big problem and it's starting to become one. It's difficult for certain sides, say from um, east to west, to be able to meet. Um, it, it's maybe going to be something that we need to look at at splitting the up um, the tournaments, more local areas, and then have a one grander tournament. Logistically, it's going to be difficult to host 23 clubs. Like yeah. a few years ago, that would have been what we would do at the Pan-Europeans, you know, having that many clubs. So from my perspective, in Slovakia, it would be impossible to host 23 clubs. It still hasn't been cancelled. Um, it's under question, the, the Pan-Europeans in Galicia this October. They were getting the pitches together, but I mean, apart from, say, Maastricht, um, even Vienna was struggling, and Vienna has a greater capacity. It's something that we'll probably have to look at um, as Gala Games Europe, not just as a region. Um, a, a restructuring, I, I, I know that we were, there were some messages about this, uh, about trialling some different ways of hosting the tournaments and the regions and having like a top-tier league and things like this. We, we need to do it. We're going to be in the situation where you travel and you probably only get two or three games if we don't split. Because uh, time-wise, there, there wouldn't be enough hours in the day. But it's a good problem to have. The ladies game. A lot of, a lot of regions would be delighted to have so many ladies. So it's a, it's a good problem to have, but we need to find good solutions. You know? with, with the Central East region, um, what are the difficulties facing individual clubs, uh, apart from distance and finance, uh, what do they need, say, for example, from from us in GGE or from the GAA to help promote the game more? Is there something we can do? From my own perspective, um, a bit more help with um, funding for training um, is something that we, we were applying for because it, it, you can't always keep asking players to fund themselves. But one thing that I've noticed that's been uh, very good is the training that's being offered you know, for, for coaches. Uh, so that there's online seminars. More of that would be really great because um, a lot of players, uh, but they don't have the badges, you know, yeah. especially for coaches. There's a difference whenever you, whenever you first coach here, you're, you're talking to players who have never kicked a ball before, yeah. you know. Or, um, so these type of um, courses, you know, for, for example, I attended a course uh, in Vienna a few years ago where it was about the ladies game and you know, teaching them how to uh, – protect their knees and specific drills, you know, for pickups and um, uh-huh. improving players that have never played before, um, which was fantastic. So that's one aspect, but looking at different ways of funding. 
this year we're in a more healthy position as a region um, to be able to look at that. But then with COVID-19, I think all funding has been put to a halt. Yeah, <laughs> as, a as I mentioned well, at the top of the show, was that they're struggling. They've been asking the staff to take pay deferrals in May and so on. On coronavirus, how has it hit Slovakia and how has it affected Central East Europe? Because we, we should have already had one uh, tournament out of the way in Berlin and you guys were hosting on May 25th. Have you taken a financial hit on that? No. Uh, well, we, we, we um, knew the, the organiser, well, the, the pitch, and we've used them before, so they, they were quite nice about it. Um, we didn't have to take a financial hit on it. Um, I would say January, February, March are a key recruitment time for us. So we always have turnover of people coming and going. Um, the fact that we couldn't have any games. So we were meant to have um, the tournament in Berlin last week. Uh, we were trying to have a friendly tournament with the new club, Budapest. We had to cancel that. Um, and then we also had to cancel the, the tournament in May. And now the tournament in June in Zurich has also been cancelled. So pretty much... Uh, three out of the four regional tournaments are not going ahead. Um, we still don't know about um, what's going to happen with the Vienna tournament in September. So, th- of course, this has a big impact because um, you, also we can't train. Um, we can't have fundraiser. People that we would try to be bringing into the club, are, we're not getting them because we're not having training. So it's a huge impact. Like, um, uh, And I think that's across uh, all of the the clubs in Central European region because if you're not going to have games how are you going to keep the players there it's 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 a difficult scenario but um, one thing that the is the the committee um, I've been trying to come up with new ways of keeping people involved there was a, a meeting last week some ideas about like online hit you know HIIT sessions yeah. doing cooking challenges online quizzes board games um you know, karaoke online, that type of thing. So there was, there was, there's been a lot of good ideas um, being put forward by the committee. But um, I think all clubs are just counting down the days till the lockdowns over, so that we can actually just get back out and kick a ball. I, I do think you, you, you made a uh, good point. One of the big worries is that you know you don't want to come back too early, and, and there's a chance of spreading the illness um, or getting some some of your own members sick. We, we have to look after our players. That's the biggest responsibility of any club. So, you know, we, we can't rush back. Um, for example, tomorrow they're lifting uh, some of the restrictions here in Slovakia because and, uh, you can do outside exercise, but oh. there's no way we can go back until, you know, it's a bit more safe. It, it's an, an awful predicament to be in where you think, well, do we, don't we, but you have to kind of have that bit of long-term view and say, do you know what? Chances of someone getting sick, the whole clubs get shut down, you know. And after all, we are an amateur sport, and we're we're mm-hmm. a community sport as well. So we have to be very, very careful. Before we go away, just want to ask you briefly in terms of Central East Europe, the size, geographic size, the scale of Central East Europe, the number of clubs we have, the issues facing uh, hosting tournaments. Uh, what possible solutions could there be apart from dividing up into Central East Europe and East East Europe? What what it's, it's something we have to, I think, uh, we have to trial a couple of options. So um, I, I, I'm not sure if we can or should split up the entire region because what you could end up with is just playing the same teams all the time. 
Yeah. Um, but maybe a tiered system where we have senior teams, intermediate teams playing in, and then meeting together for one big final, say who should be an intermediate club and who should be a senior club. Yeah. You know, so maybe having the first few tournaments, um, maybe the first tournament based upon the previous year, and then saying, okay, so this team won, so they're a senior side in the region. It could be a good idea, um, and it could be a way of splitting it. So, like, if I think that's something that um, Anthony was looking at, he was proposing yeah. changes, something like along those lines. Um, I think for the next couple of years, it's going to be trial and error, see what yeah. works, see what doesn't, because of course we can split the championship in this way, but then what happens if a couple of teams don't turn up? You know, and then you've only got a handful of, of matches. Um, it's something that we do need to find a solution to. Um, so we, we don't want to lock the region down to just, like, for example, if you even look at ourselves in Bratislava, Vienna and Prague and Budapest, that, that wouldn't be possible to host the tournament. So we, possibly the tiered system is the best avenue to go down. Very difficult. And with the European Super League due to come in next year, it could solve mm-hmm. a lot of our problems where the bigger yeah. clubs, the stronger clubs will get that senior football. Because um, I do remember this time last year, we were in Prague. We were together in Prague. And yeah. it was great. The final game for the two Shamrocks, the Shamrock Showdown, whatever you call it. And it was great. It was a, cra- it was, it was a cracking game. It was blistering heat in Prague. We took a lead. And then you guys clawed, clawed back and won in the end. It was about four points in the end. But it was, at one point, you're down by six, seven, eight points. Everybody just was like, we fell into each other's arms going, that's great. Now let's go for a pint. You know, it was like, exactly. And it's that type of community that yeah. I think everybody's missing this year. But also the fact that um, it was two sides playing kind of at their own at the at the level that they're at as well. Exactly. And that um, rather than like say I won't name teams, but <laughs> there's times that we're lining up against another side and I'm like oh this is going to be hard because they're a senior side. You yeah. know, we have like two or three new guys learning the sport, and I'm like oh this is going to be hard. For you. You get beaten, you get beaten, you win, you win, but they have a bit of crack. So, okay. Other, like, you know, big reasons, like in, in Spain and France, they do have divisions, they have tiers. So, mm-hmm. the sooner it comes in for us, I guess it's, it's a better thing. In the development of Slovakia, and do you think that there is room for another club in Slovakia? I'm not sure if there's room for a second team. Maybe in Kosice, because they, they get quite a few um, Irish students over there. For the, I just can't say. There's just not enough Irish people in, in Bratislava. It's been growing every single year. Uh, for example, last year in um, Vienna at the Pan-Europeans, we had a full ladies team. We had um, two, two men's teams at the, at the tournament. So that was the first time in our history. So what, what we've focused on is recruiting locals, people living here, not relying on, you know, say, students coming in who would be short-termism, uh, but looking at training people to, to stay at the club for a long period of time. People are, have put down roots in, in Slovakia, just recruiting from, from locals. Uh, when we do recruit, we, we make sure that there's a lot of effort that goes into make sure the players feel welcome, the new people feel welcome. We, we're a small club, and like we, we're never going to be as big as some of the large, larger clubs from the larger cities. But what we do, we do quite well. We, we make sure that um, we, we socialize together. We, we make sure the trainings are really good, um, high quality. Uh, the facilities that we're um, starting to rent now are, are Brilliant. Um, so people are getting good exercise, um, good community spirit, 
good social life out, you know, outside of it, which I'm sure people have noticed when they've met the Shamrocks after the... It, it, it's, a big plus point. it's a big plus point for Bratislava's for sure, and that's down to the Shamrocks, that's, that's for sure. Um, but I think the, the, the key aspect is recruit and, and make sure people feel welcome. Um, the way we've set ourselves up, even if you look at our uh, Facebook page, we're a community hub. Uh, it's not just we're we're more than just a sports club. We're we're more of a social community. We help out fellow members. We we um, all meet um, like to watch the the, the games on a Sunday or um, even the Premier League and things like this or the rugby. Uh, but we make sure we do a lot of things together. And, um, we we've got a really good group of people, very welcoming, and I think that really helps to grow the club. Thank you so, so much for that. And uh, fingers crossed you get back out kicking the ball fairly soon. The very I best think everybody's sitting for it. Cheers. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Okay, that was Kieran Chapman. He is a chairperson for Slovak Shamrocks. And of course, the PRO for Central East Europe. Okay, folks, that is it for this Sunday's game uh, for this, this Maybank holiday weekend. Hope you all have a great time. And remember, take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll talk to you on Wednesday. We have a couple of very, very special guests on for your listening pleasure. <laughs>